Yo, what's up? It's your girl, DJ Narc. Narc! <laughs> so, grab something to drink, something to smoke if you're somewhere where you can chill and relax. If you're driving, remember to pay attention. Just take some deep breaths. And let's go. There's a lot to talk about. I want to talk about Gattaca and the idea of being able to prove to you that looks don't really mean anything. And that your psychocybernetics determine much more, your psychocybernetic settings have a much larger impact on how this simulation interacts with you than do your actual looks and how your looks are subject to change based on what your settings are. I think that's one of the most poignant things about that book is that it's written by a plastic surgeon. So he's, part of his profession is being keenly aware of how people look and about how, and how people feel about themselves. And being able to find that cross section there, <clears throat> excuse me, drink something, is, uh, is an important thing to be able to prove and show you with popular examples and even people you know in your life who on paper should have made it, had every genetic uh, advantage given to them, had every financial advantage given to them, and yet they were not able to make this simulation work with them. It's as if they go out of their way to waste each and every gift. So we'll talk about that, but there's a lot of other stuff to talk about as well. And most of it is just a commentary on what's going on in the world right now. But because I haven't really been on the lives and we haven't really had a chance to talk, I thought I would do most of it here. That way we're all caught up on what's going on in the world. So, and a lot of this is very tricky. It's interesting. We're in a time now when talking about current events is extremely sensational and quite dangerous. There's a lot going on openly that we're not supposed to comment on. We're, we're supposed to pretend we don't see. So starting with um, these two studies that have just come out of China a few days ago that are saying corona looks like a blend of SARS and AIDS. Now I think it was in the last episode that I happened to mention that I think I thought it was like an AIDS flu. Drink something, please where it's transmissible through the air like a flu, but it has the effects of going into your body and ramping up all the autoimmune responses. So if there's any part of your body that's at all weak or lacking some sort, it has some sort of deficiency, that part of your body will not be able to withstand the autoimmune response caused by the virus, and therefore the body ends up killing itself. So I think the reason we've associated it with a respiratory illness up until now is because that's the mode of transmission. That's how it gets into the body. And with most people who are weak and cannot withstand an autoimmune response, most of them happen to be weak in either the lungs or the kidneys. So those are the two that we've seen from the beginning, two causes of death related to corona. But we know now that there's a lot of symptoms, including finally, you know, RevFam, we've been talking about this since March, but finally 
There are doctors coming out all over the world and saying, in fact, hair shedding is a symptom of corona. And again, it's alopecia, it's an autoimmune response um, that the body right produces generally caused by stress but again this virus what it does is it goes and it causes all these different inflammation responses and wherever you're deficient that's where it's going to get you so it's all related those of you who have been really really worried about your hair um, I would suggest first of all right away starting to take something that has zinc in it uh, the omega-3s if you want to use marine omega that's fine if you you know if you don't want to use like a fish product or whatever uh, chia seeds the almonds like we talked about the black seed oil every day so what you're trying to now do is ingest all the foods that are going to bring down the inflammation in the body the body is causing the inflammation to itself. That's what the virus is doing, exactly the way AIDS does it, okay? So you've got to now arm your body with everything that brings down inflammation and completely stop consuming everything that causes inflammation. And that will almost immediately cause your hair to stop shedding. But if you have any other symptoms of corona, like um, if it's affected your intestines, for example, it will also start to calm down there as well. So it'll calm down all the symptoms, actually. So there's that. So it's important to get that talked about and out of the way because it's a really important development and I'm proud of us because we've been talking about this again since March and noticing and being cognizant and not letting people talk us into this idea that it was based on stress and blah, 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 because they did. For months and months, they tried to talk us into this idea that everyone was just stressed having to stay home and that's why we're losing inordinate amounts of hair. Well, no, not at all, not at all, completely tied to this thing. So there's that. Next, this thing with Biden picking Kamala Harris. Uh, I have I have no opinion whatsoever on what the Democrats are doing, aside from saying that this is exactly what they did with the first time they ran against Trump. And they're making exactly the same mistakes again. And they're hoping somehow that making the same mistakes again is going to give them a different outcome. Now, one could argue that it doesn't matter how anyone votes. The Electoral College doesn't, no longer wants Trump in office and they'll just vote him out because they feel like it. But I have a feeling that it's the other way around. I think that for the most part, everyone who is a part of the Electoral College, which I'm not sure if we even know who they are, right? They have just been given a slight suggestion to vote in accordance with the with their constituents, but they don't have, well, they're not their constituents, with the people they represent, with the votes they represent, but they don't have to. They can vote any way they want, right? So if this election, and there's that if is perfunctory, it, it is, since this election is determined by a very small group of people who will vote however they see fit. Like, let's just be real. <laughs> All just standing in line and getting the ballots and doing the things. I get it. I get how it, you know, the semblance of freedom is very intoxicating. It makes you feel like you can do anything. But when you realize that the popular vote does not have to in any way coincide with the electoral college vote, that's when you get your mind blown. And you realize that there's just a bunch of people who are going to pick what they want, who they want. And so 
if that's the game we're really playing, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, I don't, I don't know what that electoral college looks like that would choose them. I don't. Because it's such a terrible mix of... It's, it's a terrible... It's, it's two people who are hypocritical about everything. It's two people who flow in any way that the money tide pushes them. And it's so easy for Republicans, even people who lean slightly Republican, to sense that about their ticket now. So anyone in the Electoral College who's even slightly leaning to the right is going to vote for Trump now because they can't stomach the idea of two liberals who are constantly caught lying and who just keep, you know, bold-faced lying and can be bought. That's not to say that they don't know and that the right isn't bought. Everyone is bought. But it's the brashness of it. She's such a bad choice because she's made so many bad choices that it'll be just so easy to diminish the entire thing. Not that Joe Biden wasn't going to do that on his own anyway. He's been, he's destroying any chance they have of winning every time he opens his mouth. But the idea that she's going to make it better instead of worse is just like not understanding the American landscape. I feel like when people were asking me, like a few years ago when Trump was running, do you think Trump will win? And I was like, absolutely, he'll win. And people were like, no, you can't be serious. No, he won't actually win. And I was like, no, yeah, he'll totally win. It's the same thing now. We, the Democratic, and I can't say we, because I'm not a part of it. The Democratic Party has read the room wrong. They think that, if you give people, again, that semblance of choice and freedom, that this time around it will be enough for them to just put another completely corrupt group of people in office. And I don't think it's going to happen. I think at this point, the American people are like, well, this guy's a complete nightmare, but we know what this nightmare is. So we'll stick with the nightmare we know. Because the nightmare we're being shown on the other side that might be seems even more terrifying because it's the same amount of corruption. It's the same amount of all the fucked up shit. It's the same. Except they also have this kind of, you know, mandate. They have this permission from everyone to let things Well, I wouldn't say fall apart, but to let things get as conservative as possible and nobody checks them on it because they're Democrats. Like the things that the Democrats put forth in the 90s, and she's a part of it, all that prison quote unquote reform they did, if a conservative president had tried to do that, it would have never passed. And I've noticed that that's a trend, that whenever the Democrats come into power, they push through things that we would fight tooth and nail had the Republicans tried to push them through. So I think instinctually, people, as crazy as this may sound, I think people are going to vote for Trump. More importantly... I think that by the time we actually get to the point where the Electoral College has to vote, by then, Joe Biden will have done so many things that make us question his sanity. Like, just his basic sanity. Like, I'm sorry, but that bad is completely bonkers. Like, he's, he's, he's hanging on by a thread. He's hanging, and, and even that thread is so tenuous. Like, oh man, he's hanging on by like one white hair. 
and everybody knows it and it's the most bizarre thing like at least when reagan had alzheimer's in the oval office and didn't know he was the president he was in like the last year of his presidency and he had you know george bush senior and 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 uh what's her face nancy reagan to like kind of weekend at bernie's him and carry him around but this is like now we're doing that going into office in your first year come on now this is crazy this is crazy and i think by the time you get to the debates what you will have seen if if there are any debates because you know trump wants there to be debates because he realizes that when it comes to just being mentally aware i'm not even saying intelligent i'm not even saying cogent or making any sort of sense I mean, just like aware of where you are, like I am sitting on a sofa, like where you are. I feel like he can't wait to get Biden in a situation where they have to actually speak off the cuff to each other because it'll just be over. It'll be over. It's not like there's, yeah. So I just wanted to put that out there. So in case you're like super going hard for like the Biden ticket, I'm sorry, but I think you're going to be severely disappointed. And the fucked up thing is that even if I'm completely wrong, which I, you know, I hope I am. Even if I'm completely wrong, what happens on the other side of this is not really going to be a lot better than what's going on now. In some ways, it's going to be a lot worse because depending on who puts money in their pockets to get them elected, they're going to be making some pretty um, sweeping reforms, right? There's a lot of special interests that back them both. And those special interests have a very special interest in what happens to the American economy for the next 10 years, considering the restructuring and the rebuilding that has to happen now and the amount of federal money that will be coming in. There's a, there's a lot. There's a lot of corruption to be had, right? That's what it really feels like, the presidential elections now. They feel like a corruption carnival, like contest to see who's the most corrupt. That's the person who ends up winning. <laughs> so there's that. This, uh, this whole fucked up thing continues, huh? With the trafficking and the Epstein and the Maxwell. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all need to wake up to the fact that this is part of a much larger intelligence operation uh, led by several countries, making the two of them probably agents for more than one country and completely untouchable. Now, how that status changed and why, we'll never know. Because obviously they were never trying to hide. So the decision to suddenly prosecute them was not because a group of girls got together and said, hey, this happened to us, not at all. So whatever it is that made the powers that be decide that now these two were expendable, we'll never know. We'll also never know what actually happens to them. Because again, I think they're, uh, I don't think they're assets. I don't think that these are people that were used by the intelligence community. I think they were intel or are intelligence. So a big, big difference there. And being so, since their cover is completely blown and everyone knows who they are, I think there is this perfunctory kind of thing that needs to happen where they're jailed and then you know presumed to be killed so they can be relocated whatever it is but it's not what you're seeing and it's not the show that's being put on even the show and I'm I'm aware even the show that's being put on 
on the internet about what's really going on and what they were really doing. Yeah, no, that's just another story. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying that's not the real story. The real story is much, much, much more political than that. And involves, you know, the highest uh, ranks of government. So these were, these were high level or high priority intelligence operations. And everything else was kind of grooming for that. So anything outside of that that you may find out or may be kind of leaked to you or anything that happens outside of that is just really a distraction and an easy way to close the book on something without having to take any responsibility for it. So there's that. What else? A lot of you have listened to the past few episodes that I've done and been like, oh my God, I was totally yelling at the phone or like yelling at the speakers. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe that happened to you. Yeah, see, I think there is something very important that I would like to tell you. And maybe in this time where everyone is having difficulties and doesn't know how things are going to go, I think this may be a timely message. And it is also a response to questions you may have about my personal life or the car accident. I'm not sure where I picked up this philosophy or when I started following it. I would like to say it was how I was as a kid and then maybe in there somewhere I lost it for a few years and then slowly eased back into it the more I turned back into myself. And what I'm talking about is this idea or feeling of being in a constant state of awe slash gratitude. No matter how good or bad something seems on the outside, on the inside, the way it's processed, drink something, please. It's processed like a blessing. Now that blessing may not make itself completely clear to you because some blessings take a while to show themselves as such. But if you look back in your life, everything that's ever happened to you on a long enough timeline was something beneficial because somehow or other something came of it that made you smarter, more interesting, deeper as a person, stronger as a person. So instead of needing to see it on this very long timeline, I've learned to see that on a second by second timeline. So not having to pull all the way back and see over the arc of an event or a relationship and say, ah, okay, this is why it should, I should be grateful that I went like this. I mean moment by moment while it's happening as the hurt. And what it does is it speeds up the hurt being processed as well. So as the hurt is happening, it's being processed. As the events are, are unfolding, there is this uh, gratitude with which it's being processed. Like, hey, even though this sucks, I'm, I'm really glad for this, or I'm really glad for this, or I'm glad that this happened. Thank you for this gift. The ones you understand and the ones you don't understand. Now that may seem like a lot of gratitude because then you're kind of just grateful all the time for everything right? It may seem excessive. It may seem like you have to fake it. Like, like, oh, if I'm always grateful, when do I get time off? When I can just, you know, 
complain and feel bad. Well, that's the whole point. You don't. First of all, complaining is just the weirdest thing in the world to me because if you have time to talk about it, you have time to get up and do something about it. So why are you talking about it? Especially to me. What the fuck do I care? Like, (laughs) I'm sorry. People really get on my nerves with that. If you don't like something, change it. Why are you sitting here talking to me about it? What do you think I can do for you? You can ask me about, you can ask me for advice on something that you're not knowing exactly how to handle or approach. But if you've been dealing with the same thing forever, and I've already told you, you know, 10, 15 times how you should deal with it, and you're still over here (laughs) talking about something, I, I mean, you just want to complain about it, right? So complaining to me is the complete opposite of gratitude. It's being so ungrateful. It's, um, and most people you'll notice who complain, drink something please. Most people you'll notice who complain, they're stuck in the same problems. Their problems never change. They always have the same issues. Even if they get a whole new set of friends, there'll be the same issue in that set of friends as there was in the last one. If they um, get in and out of relationships, the relationships will always have the same issue at the core, which is why they broke up, because it's it's this personality type. Someone who likes to complain about things, right? They need things to complain about, right? So it's like the chicken and egg. Well, which one came first? Did stuff happen to them that gave them something to complain about and that attracted more stuff to complain about? Or do they actually go out of their way to do things so they will have things to complain about? And I would even go a step further and say, so they have things to talk about because they're not interesting enough or smart enough to come up with things to talk about outside of the things they don't like about their life. So whenever I'm around someone who brings up the same thing more than a couple of times, you know, and it's something that could easily be helped by, you know, changing a few things or getting more education or leaving somebody or, you know, working out more or whatever. Like if there is an easy solution to your problem and you're sitting here talking about the same thing over and over again, you are going to lose my interest. And once you've lost my interest, you're also going to lose a certain, a certain level of niceness from me. Because now you're just polluting the energy around me with your lack of gratitude. All the things you're complaining about not having or being treated this way or not having enough of this or really wanting this, all of that energy that you've just spent complaining about the things that you wish you had or you wish you didn't have to deal with, you could have actively been calling into your life the things you actually want. So whenever I have to spend time with people who would rather focus on the things they don't have instead of focusing on what they do have right now, I tend to shut down because that energy is so toxic to me and it's so it's such a bummer. It's so hard to be around that I just kind of close my channels off because I don't want any of that getting in and I just stop interacting. Which, you know, everybody hates that. As soon as I stop interacting, people are like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, nothing. Why is it that you guys get to be quiet whenever you want to? I can't be quiet. I can't just sit here and watch all bullshit. Right? Because you had to bring these whack-ass people over here. So what? What? I have to entertain. I'm a fucking clown. So there's that. But so those, those are the, just the people that complain. But when you really adopt this, you know, deeply held truth throughout the ages, that every single thing, this is very Zen in its its thinking, that every single thing that's happening to you is happening to create a positive result. And it's only your perspective that is limited either by time, space, whatever it is, that can't see the full picture yet, but the full picture will be seen and you will experience the benefit of it on a long enough timeline if you are patient. And that intersection between gratitude and patience 
I think, is what people like to call grace. Where a person just has a certain bearing. They're not striving for anything. They're not rushing for anything. They don't need anything from you. That's my favorite, favorite. You heard how I said it, right? That's my favorite thing to say to a guy. Holmes, please don't get this twisted. I don't need anything from you. <laughs> I don't know when you got it in your head that you were that you were that important that I would need something from you, but there's nothing you got that I need. I got this. Right? When you approach the people in this world that would turn this beautiful experience that we've paid dearly to have, when people would turn this experience into something transactional, that's the part of you that springs forward. When you're constantly grateful and someone comes to you with a very let's say, um, iffy transaction, right? Hey, we'll give you this and this and this if you just compromise this and this and this. It's to those people that you can then say on an energetic level, listen, I don't need this. I know you think that this is like the best thing in the world and that I would jump on this and this is what I want more than anything, but I don't. I don't need this. And where does that confidence, where does that response get its guts from? It's believability. Because when you believe that everything is a blessing and everything is happening to you for your best, right? Drink something. Then you're also placing the power of blessings coming to you in the hands of something divine. And by something divine, I mean not any other humans like you. So any other human that would then approach you with any sort of an offer, you're not looking at that human like, oh, you can give me something. Because you have this deeper connection that you're sure that the divine gives you. So this human intermediary, whether it's this one or that one, is completely arbitrary. It doesn't matter who it is. That person themselves holds no power. They're just a vehicle to deliver the divine will to you, right? So every blessing that comes to you through another person is just the divine acting through that person. Therefore, that person themselves has no power. And is not giving you anything and should not be able to make you do anything. Instead, you rely on the, on the knowledge that you have a divine covenant. That you have come to this place of very high specialized emotional learning to better yourself and to perhaps refine yourself to the point of being able to join, you know, in the next battle. Who knows how far and how high up these wars go. But you have decided that on this particular game board, you have somebody looking out for you. You have somebody who is constantly giving you the boons that you need, constantly supplying you with the energy packets and the medicine packets and the potions and the coins that you need. And once you make that a deeply held belief that there is this divine presence, that is always bringing you what is the most good for you, regardless again of how it's processed by you in the moment, you use your higher mind to observe the processing mind from a distance and say, yes, 
That is how it's being processed right now. But as the higher mind, I am aware that on a philosophical level, this is just a version of a lesson I have yet to understand. But I am still grateful for the lesson even though I have yet to understand it. When you get into that mindset, nobody, nobody can persuade you. Nobody can get you to do something that you don't want to do or that you don't believe in. Nobody can bully you on a social level, on a friend level, on a family level. Nobody can pressure you. Nobody can scare you. Because what it does is it robs other human beings of any um, extraordinary power unnecessarily given by you, by your insecurities to other people. Drink something. It reduces all humans back down to being equal with no one human, regardless of status or bank account, having any power over another one. Because if all good things come from a divine will, and all good things come to people through that divine will, the people themselves have no individual power. Who knew God was a communist? <laughs> So in that way, what you're able to do is you're able to build a connection or build a bridge to that unknown center of faith that most people strive to reach in their life. That place where you become unflappable, nothing bothers you at all because your faith is so strong in your connection to the simulation and your belief that the simulation wants you to win. It wants you to evolve continuously and win continuously. And once you get into that groove and you have those beliefs deeply, deeply embedded within, the game starts to respond in very fun and very interesting ways. Not that the lessons will ever stop, not that you learn every lesson, not that you don't have to go back to them because you do. I mean, none of that. Everything else is the same. You have the same issues that you did before. You have the same fears as you did before. And yet, none of them affect the goodness and the abundance that is drawn to you because even though you have those things, they don't consume you. Even though you have those things, you're not walking around without answers to those hurts, to those insecurities, to those questions. There are answers to them. And the answer to all of them is the same. <clears throat> all of those things, every one of those things is yet another puzzle that has been put together to help you evolve, to trigger some knowing, some knowledge, some emotion, some computation in your brain that creates that little bit more room for evolution. Our brains are on a mission to evolve. All our brains want to do is live in this abstract philosophical realm and think about these really big ideas and how to kind of tackle them and get the mind around them has been our preoccupation for so long because we realized that for the most part, physically we're done evolving. That all the evolution has to happen in the mind now. And we know, we know that there is a uh, ticking, you know, there's a ticking clock here. That we have only so much time to evolve to a, place where we can cooperate and work together and save this planet. But if we are unable to evolve philosophically and expand our brains 
we won't ever be able to get along long enough to fix things. So it's quite astounding and awe-inspiring the fail-safe that is placed on humanity because there is a certain level of success, technological achievement, or survival post-cataclysmic event that cannot be reached by humans unless they cooperate. And it's a level of cooperation that cannot be reached until people have ascended to a place mentally where they realize that everybody is exactly the same and deserves to be treated equally. I think part of the reason we have such a problem with racism is because it requires evolution. It requires us looking past tribalism and as uh, people who haven't you know, quite evolved that much in the past 2,000 years, we have a very hard time letting go of tribalism. It's all we've known. It's what our societies have grown up out of. It is, for most of us, our first societal instinct. And so often you'll see that uh, racism is a plague of the uneducated. Because the less you know, the more that tribal instinct thrives and, and you get your power through it. The more you read and the more you know and the more educated you are, you realize that this tribalism exists everywhere. And once you have that global perspective, you're able to put your own beliefs also in perspective. And you're able to see that on that level, you are all the same, right? It's an evolution of the mind. So those of us who are hell-bent on not evolving or our, our particular culture, society, small town doesn't allow us to evolve, then, uh, yeah. Then you see what happens. <laughs> so, that's my spiel on how everything is actually a good thing. No matter how terrible it may seem in the moment, or how much it may hurt, there is some very particular reason chosen by you a long time ago that that thing is happening to teach you a very specific lesson that you had decided that you had to learn or relearn or experience again or learn in a different way from a different point of view. And so that's what you're doing. So when you fight against what's happening and you complain about it and you're sad about it, what you're really doing is you're fighting with that higher part of yourself who's laid this all out for you, who set this obstacle course up in a certain way on purpose so you can learn certain things. And when you rail against your fate, what you're doing is you're, you're uh, going, you know, at, you're at odds with that part of you that we have to take for granted knows a lot better than you do about what you need to learn while you're here. But again, the graceful acceptance, the patient, <clears throat> excuse me, drink something, the patient acceptance of allowing things to flow to you and knowing that everything that flows to you is in its own way a goodness. Because either it's going to teach you what to keep away from or it's going to draw you in because it's good for you. This is the easiest way to get into an upward abundance spiral and keep spiraling up. It is the easiest way to turn around a stagnant business idea. It is the easiest way to reignite a creative flame. 
because you just wake up and decide that every single thing you will encounter today is somehow helpful to you and you are grateful to the divine for being given this obstacle, this hurdle, this gift, whatever it is to you. And you approach every situation as such until you make it a habit. And once it becomes a habit, or even before it becomes a habit, once you start doing it, you know, just with everything that happens to you in a day, what you'll notice is that you'll have more and more things happening to you to be grateful for. Not just across the board grateful for, but things that you actually really, really wanted. And the things that you were grateful for but not necessarily liked start to diminish. It's like a cheat code for the simulation. It's like a cheat code for the game. So even the negative energies turn positive. Right? That's it. That's it. I also think that flowers are cheat codes for the simulation. I think flowers disrupt the code around them. And that there's a beauty to them that we mimic when we look at them all the time. We mix with their energy. We learn from them. And they affect us. Their frequency, the frequency at which they vibrate, creating these incredible colors. It all interacts with us and it teaches us visually and energetically how to be more like them. Again, grace. Grace might be the ultimate cheat code for this game. Because it allows for everything that it attracts and is capable of dealing with everything that comes its way. And it doesn't want anything. And so everything gets offered. I think the most graceful answer that you can give anyone, and I do this all the time, is when people ask me, how are you? I'm like, I'm great. (laughs) And sometimes people will say, no, but really, how are you? No, really, I'm great. (laughs) I mean, I'm not really sure what else the answer is supposed to be. I guess if I was sad, I would say I was sad, but I'm not. I guess if I was stressed, I would say I was stressed, but I'm not. I'm great. Alhamdulillah, I'm great. Thank you. And the conversation inevitably has to turn to the other person because then I'll say, well, what about you? How are you? And they'll go into how they are and generally how they are consists of the things that they are fighting with in their life. That they don't like, that they wish was different. And I think that is what leaves you when you start to be grateful for everything. You don't wish anything was different. You're not wishing to be anywhere but where you are. There isn't some far away future time where you're going to be happy. There is no far away future event when this happens and this and I get this and I have this, then I'll be happy. There's nothing in your life right now that you don't like. That future happiness that people are looking for where everything is perfect And then they allow themselves, when I have this and this and this and this, then I'll be happy. What about if you gave yourself that acceptance now? What if you accepted your life as it was now and were happy about it? You know, that's what I like about that movie, As Good As It Gets. I didn't really like the movie, but I like that one part when he says, what if this is as good as it gets? What if it is? What if it is? 
What if this is as good as it gets? Is that a bad thing? If you look around in your life right now and you are grateful for everything that's ever happened to you, no matter how it seemed at the time, would it be okay if this is as good as it gets? Because the crazy thing is, it's all your perception. This is as good as it gets. It's never going to get any better than this. You think if you got the perfect guy or the perfect girl or the perfect person and the perfect drug and the perfect yacht and the perfect sea is the perfect blue color, you know, all of that, then it's going to be, you're going to be as happy then as you would be now if you just were happy about everything that you have right this minute, because that's the feeling you're trying to chase. It's an overwhelming feeling of happiness where you feel satisfied and grateful because something so amazing is happening to you that you can't help but feel grateful and in awe. But what if you could feel that way just in your normal life? That feeling that you think costs X amount of money and X amount of years to work to get to. What if you could just feel that just walking around? Yeah, you could still have those experiences and they'd still be incredible, but they wouldn't be any more or less incredible than what you're going to do later today. How does one get there? Just by being grateful and psyched about what's happening in your life right now. Good. I keep meaning to talk about this Gattaca thing and then it keeps getting away from me. Okay, we'll do it next time. Proms, proms. Ooh. Yo, it is your girl, DJ Narc. I love you. I'll be back in New York in a couple of weeks. We got Virgo season coming up. What? Already? Virgo season? These Virgos, I can't. <laughs> a Virgo told me the other day, he said that you're perfect. And I was like, wow. I think I collect those moments. I collect the moments where Virgo tell me I'm perfect. I'm like, ooh, that's one for the box. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I love you guys. <laughs> and I'll be back next week and we'll talk about Gattaca. Love you, love you. <laughs>